Hi, the second Bible reading um, today will be from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 17. You can follow along in the Pew Bibles on page 758 or behind the screen. Verse 1. Here is my servant, who I am uphold. My chosen one is whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter to be discouraged or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. He, in his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I'll keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the formal things that have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. Let the desert and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice, and let people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a mighty man, like a warrior. He will strip up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Well, good evening. Uh, my name's Ian. If you haven't met me, I'm one of the elders here. And uh, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 42 tonight, the one we've just read. And it'd be great if you've got the, your Bibles open as we work through them. Perhaps we should be holding up our Bibles just before we uh, work through the passage. Uh, but let me pray before we have a look at what God's saying in these verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to... Uh, read your word together like this tonight and to consider what it's saying to us. Lord, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted of things in our own lives where we don't trust you. I pray that you would challenge us to perhaps think differently about ourselves and about who you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would change us so that we'd be more like your son, the Lord Jesus. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. I was wondering if there's ever been a time in your life where you've been accused of something that you didn't do. Uh, perhaps you were a child 
and uh, you had a brother or a sister and they got you into trouble for something they did. Or perhaps you're at school and you got into trouble because one of your schoolmates did something. Or maybe you're at work and uh, you had to take the rap for something that someone else did. It wasn't your fault. And if that's ever happened to any of us, I think one of the first reactions that we have is that we say, it's just not fair. Something like that happened to me about 20 years ago. I was driving a truck and I got pulled over by the police uh, for not wearing a seatbelt. And actually, I was wearing my seatbelt. And I thought, well, this is just not fair. And so I, I ended up going to court to fight for justice. And the judge, he heard all the evidence and at the end of the, the court case, he slammed down his gavel and he said, not guilty, case dismissed. And I got what I thought was the justice that I deserved. Well, I think we can all relate to that in some way. When we see something that's clearly unjust, we long for justice to be done. When we watch a, a crime show on TV, we, we keep watching, hoping in the end, the criminal, the guilty person will get the justice they deserve. If someone breaks into our home, if someone steals our car, we just want them to get the justice they deserve. Well, sadly, we know that there are injustices all over the world. This is part of the world we live in. And I think we can see that our world desperately needs justice. And so let me ask you another question. If it was your job to bring justice to the world, how would you do it? What would be your plan? What would be your policies? How would you get it done? And what kind of a justice would you bring? Is it even possible that justice can be brought to our world? Well, these are the questions that bring us to Isaiah chapter 42. And we're going to zero in on what God says about the justice we so desperately long for. When this was written, the Israelites, they were, they were living in exile. They were living under Babylonian rule. And they would have been desperate for some sort of justice as well. And just as God spoke to them, he speaks to us. And he says, I'm going to bring my justice, not just to them, but to the whole world. And we're going to see today, who's going to bring this justice? We're going to see how it will happen. And we're also going to see what should be our response. And to help to keep us on track, to help keep me on track, we're going to look at this under three headings. And they're in your bulletin there. The servant God appoints the freedom God brings, and the song that God deserves. So the first question is, who's going to bring this justice? And if you're looking at your Bible, verse 1, we read the answer in the first four words. Here is my servant. And in fact, the original language is a bit stronger than the word here. It's more emphatic than that. It's a bit more like, look, behold, sit up, take notice, this is my servant. And what we see next is that there's an intimate relationship 
between this servant and God himself. And he gives his servant everything he needs, even his own spirit, to bring justice to the nations. Look what it says in verse 1. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. I asked earlier how you would bring justice to the world. Just imagine you were in a position of immense power. How would you bring about justice? And when we think about human efforts to bring justice to the world, how do people usually go about it? Well, often they try to do it by forcing their will on people, often by persecution, making the most noise, or by making promises that they can't keep. But this isn't how God's servant brings about his justice. This isn't what he's like. He's not the one with the loudest campaign, the flashiest advertising. He's not the one who will trample on anyone who gets in his way, particularly the weak and the vulnerable. He's not the one who gives up when he's discouraged or complains when things go against him. Let's read verses 2 to 4. And we can start to get a glimpse of the humble, gentle, faithful character of the servant God appoints. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. If I see a bruised reed in my garden, I'll just chop it off. And a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. If I've got a smouldering candle at home, I'll just put it out. I'll replace it. I'll chuck it out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. God describes what his servants like because to God, character matters. In our society today, we value competence over character so often. During the last election, if you voted, did you think about the character of the person you were voting for? Or was it more important to you what they promised they could do? What about in our church when we uh, take part in elections, when we have a say in who gets appointed to certain positions? Do we place character ahead of or competence? Well, God promises to bring his perfect justice to the world by sending a servant that reflects his own perfect character. But when God says that his servant's going to bring justice, what does this mean? Well, it's obviously important because it's mentioned three times in the first four verses. Well, firstly, it means that he's going to make a statement or a judgment about what's true and what's false. It's a bit like perhaps when you're watching the tennis and the ball lands just near the line and one of the players doesn't like the decision and so he challenges it. And the third umpire looks at the super slow motion replay from all the different angles. He's seen all the evidence and he sees what really happened. And then he makes his decision. It's either in or it's out. 
And God's servant's a bit like this third umpire. God's servant sees everything. And that's because God sees everything. And God's justice is going to come to the world because everything's going to be revealed. Everything's going to be called to account. How good is that? Doesn't that sound wonderful? Isn't that what we long for, the justice that we long for? But God's justice, and that's what Israel longed for as well. Israel longed for this justice. But God's justice for the Israelites back then wasn't good news. It was terrible news. And that's, be and that's because they had failed God. That's why they were in exile. They'd turned their back on God. They'd assimilated into the culture around them. And they worshipped false idols. And this means that God's justice leaves us with a huge problem, doesn't it? And that's because God knows exactly what we're like. Just imagine God looking at the super slow motion replay of our lives. Just imagine the close-up of our lives just this week. If you looked at the replay of everything we said this week, everything we didn't say, the things we just muttered under our breath, every thought that we had. If God's going to bring justice to the world, this justice should fill us with terror rather than comfort. What we've heard in the first four verses is that the servant God appoints is going to bring us the justice we deserve. On our own, we're going to fail and we're going to fall on the wrong side of his justice. That's what we deserve. And for us to have any hope of falling on the right side of God's justice, we desperately need a kind of justice that we don't deserve. And so how will this justice come about? And so this brings us to our second point. We're going to see the freedom that God brings. God longs to bring us freedom, and that's because he doesn't want us to live apart from him. Even though God is so vast, way beyond our comprehension, his power is in incomparable. God's given us every breath that we breathe. Just think about it. We breathe in, we breathe out, for every minute that we're alive. This life that we have is from God. Let's read what it says in verse 5. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. God's not only created this universe, but his good and perfect plan is to be in a loving, intimate relationship with humanity, with us. When loving parents have a child, they don't plan to give the baby away to some strangers when it's born. God's like a loving parent who longs to be in relationship with us. And he says, this relationship is somehow going to be tied to this servant. Look at me at verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant 
for the people. God says that he's going to make his servant to be a covenant for the people. Do, do you find that a bit strange? Why would God need to do this? Didn't he already have covenants with his people? In the Old Testament, God made covenants or contracts or agreements with his people. If the people kept their side of the covenant, God would protect them and bless them. If they failed, then they could expect God's judgment. And what we saw in the Old Testament has how they failed over and over again. That's why they're in exile when this was written. There they were, lamenting by the rivers of Babylon, weeping for their homeland. But God doesn't give up on his people, and he doesn't give up on us either. And even though they didn't deserve it, God promises to set them free. And he promises to set us free from the justice we deserve by making his servant to be a covenant, to stand between us and God. And if we're going to be in relationship with God, it's going to be through this servant. And this would have come as wonderful news to them. And it should be wonderful news for us too. In fact, it's good news for the whole world. Let's read verse 7. What the servant will be and what the servant will do. A light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is wonderful news for the whole world, and it would have been particularly wonderful news for the people of Israel. They would have felt imprisoned, longing to be released from captivity. The problem was they'd forgotten who God is. They'd turned to other idols. They'd assimilated into the culture around them. We can't forget who God is. And we can't direct our praise to anyone but him. Look what it says in verse 8. I'm the Lord. That is my name. I'll not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. And just to remind us that he's God and idols are utterly useless he tells us things that will happen before they even take place. Verse 9. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. So, we've seen who's going to bring God's justice to the world, the justice we deserve. It's the servant God appoints. We've also seen the justice that we don't deserve comes through the servant and through the freedom that God brings. And if that's what God promises to do for his people, in fact for the whole world, what should our response be? Well, surely it should be to sing the song that God deserves. Can you picture the whole world praising God? Not just a, a small gathering like this with our, our small band and not even you know, a really large church. Not, not even like in the Old Testament before they were preparing to get the temple ready with David, he appoints 4,000 musicians. Nothing like that. But the whole of creation, even pagan towns like 
Kedar and Selah, that used to worship idols, will praise God. This is what it says in verses 10 to 12. Have a look with me. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Why is the whole world going to sing the song God deserves? It's because God's going to defeat his enemies. When God brings his justice to the world, injustice is defeated. God wins. The song God deserves is a victory song. Look what it says in verse 13. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. God says that he's going to triumph over his enemies. But the Israelites, they would have been thinking, when's this going to happen for us? Are we going to be in exile forever? When will we be set free? Doesn't God care? But God's not unaware of their situation and he will do what he's promised because he's unstoppable. He waits for the right time to act, just like a pregnant woman waits for the right time to give birth. Look at verse 14. For a long time I've kept silent, I've been quiet and held myself back, but now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. And we should praise God because nothing's impossible for him. Mountains will be flattened, rivers dried up, sight to the blind, freedom for captives. Nothing's ever going to stop God from his plans to bring justice to the world. Let's read verse 15 and 16. I will lay waste the mountains and hills, and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Can we see that if God's going to do all this to bring us the justice we don't deserve, how foolish it would be for us to praise someone or something else. Why would we put our trust in a piece of metal or a piece of wood? Why would we put our trust in something we know that's not going to deliver? Only God deserves our praise. This is what God says in verse 17. But those who trust in idols, who say to images... You are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Our passage for today finishes with a sober reminder of who we should worship. But these verses are also a wonderful reminder that God doesn't forget his people. The Israelites may have felt that God had forgotten them, they may have felt that God was silent, they may have felt that they were suffering a huge injustice. Maybe that's how you're feeling today. But God hasn't forgotten them and he hasn't forgotten us. 
God didn't remain silent and God promised to bring his justice to the world. God hadn't given up on them and he hasn't given up on us. We know that God sent his servant to bring justice to the world and that's the justice we deserve. But we also know that God sent his servant to set us free and give us the justice we don't deserve. And because God does all this, we should sing the song he deserves. But if we're going to fall on the right side of his justice, how's this actually possible? On our own, we can't do anything. The only thing that we can do is to trust in God's servant. We desperately need to trust in his solution. And the reason that we need to trust in God's solution is because we're blind. We're blind when we can't see who God is. We're blind when we can't see his plans for this world. We're blind when we can't see his plans for us. We're blind when we fill our lives with false idols. We know that a blind person can't heal themselves. We know that a prisoner can't set themselves free. We need someone else to do this for us. And it's only through God's servant, the one who's called a covenant, the one who bridges this huge chasm between us and God. Earlier in our service, we read from Luke chapter 4, and we heard the words of Jesus as he read from Isaiah. Listen to what he says in verse 18 about God's mission for him. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And then listen to what Jesus says in verse 20. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying that he's the one who can not only restore our physical sight, but he can give us spiritual sight. Jesus is the one who opens our eyes so we can see that he's the one who brings us the justice we don't deserve. What we deserve for our blindness is to be cut off from God. But the justice we deserve from God is bore by Jesus. When he went to the cross in our place and he died the death we deserved. So what's it look like to trust in Jesus? Well, it's, it's quite simple, really. We're either going to put all our hope in Jesus or we'll put all our hope in something else. We can either put our trust in someone who frees us, someone who loves us deeply, someone who is so gentle, someone who, even when things are at a breaking point, someone who will never let us go, someone who even died for us, or we can trust something that will enslave us, will blind us, will never satisfy us, never forgive us, and always fail us. When we trust Jesus, we know that we'll fall on the right side of God's justice. And that, that doesn't mean that we're going to be immune from the injustices around us. What it does mean is that we can deal with those injustices. And the way that we can deal with them 
is to take comfort in God's justice. There are so many people today whose lives are without any comfort. And it can be so easy to become consumed with injustices we see around us. I was recently watching a documentary about a murder trial and some people were so passionate about fighting for justice that they'd stand outside the courts day after day, week after week, even for months, holding up their signs, we want justice. And they become so consumed with this case. And it's right to fight for justice. But for those who trust in Jesus, we can't let the injustices around us consume us and destroy us. We need to take comfort in God's justice. Just this week in Burkina Faso, it's in West Africa, there was, there was terrible news of what's been happening to Christians. Listen to this report from Barnabas Fund. There is no Christian anymore in this town, this town of Abinda, said a Barnabas Fund contact. He added that 19 people were killed and that the entire population of Christians had fled for their safety. He said, it's proven they were looking for Christians. Families who hide Christians are killed. Abinda has now lost in total no less than 100 people within six months. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? That's what's happening to our brothers and sisters around the world. And we should protest these injustices. We should give aid. We should pray. But we also know that there are some times when those who commit these crimes will never be brought to justice in this life. But we can take comfort knowing that God will bring everything to account. God will bring his perfect justice to this broken world. We know that without God's comfort, there can only be despair. And we don't just hear about injustices overseas. We know that there are horrible injustices going on around us every day. Injustices to the unborn. Injustices to the weak and frail and the dying. To those who can't defend themselves. And as Christians, we should stand up against these things, particularly for those who can't stand up for themselves. But sadly, there are injustices that we know will always be with us. And so we need to take comfort in God's lasting, perfect justice that will come. And the fact that God is going to bring about his justice to the world should also remind us that there are going to be times in our lives when we'll simply have to accept God's justice. I was recently at a seminar on the topic of unforgiveness and I was reminded that sometimes in our relationships with each other there are going to be deep hurts and maybe we've been deeply hurt. Maybe we've got a broken relationship and it just hasn't been able to be restored and we've tried everything to reconcile but it hasn't been possible. When we get to that point we need to accept that God's the one who will bring justice even to those situations. We can take great comfort in that. The alternative to God's comfort is the bitterness of longing for our own justice. Last week, if you were here, we read those beautiful words from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people. And it was such a wonderful reminder that we can take comfort in God knowing he'll bring justice to the world 
And it's not only comfort that we can know amidst all of these injustices, we should also know and express joy, joy in God's glory. We need to remember that joy isn't an optional extra for Christians. When we buy a car, we can get all the standard features or we can upgrade and get some extras. Joy is a standard feature for Christians. We are commanded right throughout the Bible to rejoice in God's glory. The people who put together our hymn books in the pew there, they got it right when they called it Rejoice. Do you know the first hymn in our hymn book? Rejoice, the Lord is King. Even through the injustices of this life, God calls us to express our joy in his glory. The joy in our hearts should be the response of the goodness of God's heart. But why is it that sometimes we are so joyless? And one of the reasons, I think, is that we don't find joy in God's glory is because we look for joy somewhere else. The writer of one of my favourite hymns, Come, O Fount of Every Blessing, he, he was so honest when he wrote these words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to wander. Isn't it true? Our hearts are prone to wander. When our hearts are divided, we're saying we need something more to satisfy us, something more to bring us joy. And even when we experience disappointments and distractions and failures, our prayer should be the one that David prayed in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I think another reason that we don't sing with joy, glorifying God, is because we're more concerned with what people think of us than what God longs to hear. I have to admit I find it somewhat surprising how much joyful noise we can make after our time together, which is great, but how little joy we express together when we sing. Our joyful and, might I say, our loud expression in song is a way of letting everyone know in our gathering that God is the one that is to be glorified. It's one of the ways we love our church is by our joyful singing, remembering that God is the one we glorify. Remember our reading? It said this in Isaiah 42, Shout from the mountaintops, let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Is this how we praise God? Don't you long for the day when our neighbours come in here and are wondering what is all the joyful noise that we're making when we're singing? And isn't it wonderful to know that God's utterly committed to our joy in him every moment of the day? God wants us to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Our joy in him can't be separated from his glory. It's a joy that's going to last beyond this life and that's because God is for us. He wants us to know a deep and enduring joy. And it's a joy we can only know when we're certain we're going to fall on the right side of God's justice. 
when we know that we have a justice that we don't deserve? How do we experience God's undeserved justice? Trust in Jesus. How do we going to be able to cope with the injustices of this world only by knowing God's comfort. How should we respond to God's undeserved justice for us? Sing joyfully as we glorify God. Let's pray together and we'll joyfully sing God's glory after that. Let's pray.